on the second day the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. A few weeks ago, Arcade Fire, Canadian rock group, played at the Coachella Music Festival and during their premiere of their latest single, Unconditional Lookout Kid, their singer Wynne Butler had to abruptly stop. He was so overcome by the emotion that here they were playing at a music festival after a few years of being unable to do so due to the pandemic and various cancellations. And after the starting, they delivered very much a rousing and heartfelt rendition of the song. Well, this evening we're continuing our studies in Nehemiah and we're looking at a very emotionally driven festival that the people of Jerusalem celebrated uh, following their return from exile in Babylon and the restoration of the walls and the temple of their city, Jerusalem. We're looking at this under three headings tonight. The relish, the remembrance and the rejoicing. The relish, the remembrance and the rejoicing. First we have the relish. Look at verse 13. Here Nehemiah focuses on the people's relishing of God's word. Now before going any further, let's consider the context. In verses 1 to 8, Nehemiah had focused on the public reading of God's word. He drew out attention to the assembling of the people on the first day of the seventh month to hear the word of God. He then drew out attention to the attitude of the people as they heard the word of God being read in their presence. And then he drew out attention to the assistance that was given to the people to help them to understand that word as the priests and the Levites and Ezra the scribe uh, spoke to them and taught them. Then in verses 9 to 12, Nehemiah focused on the people's response to God's word. He highlighted that the people responded to the word, uh, the reading and the explanation of God's word with grief. They were convicted by what they were hearing, but he also highlighted that the people responded to the reading and the explanation of God's word with gladness. While the word convicted them, it also comforted them. Now, having considered the context, we can move to the convention in verse 13. Nehemiah tells us about a rally at the beginning of verse 13. He notes that it was the second day, that is the day after the public reading of the word of God. And he also notes that the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, came together, gathered together. And he notes that they came to Ezra the scribe, the man who had set his mind and set his heart to read and study the word of God and law of God. Nehemiah goes on to tell us about the reason for the rally in the second half of verse 13. He writes that this group of men came together to Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. That word study can be translated to give attention or to make wise or to gain insight. These men had stood for a six-hour service as the word was read, as the word was explained to them, and now, the very next day, they are coming together again to study the word of God under the leading preacher and teacher of the day, Ezra the scribe. And so as we consider these verses, they are highlighting the importance and the necessity of 
relishing the word of God, having a hunger for the life-giving word of the living God. That is what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. Here are a group of men, priests, Levites, and fathers of heads of fathers' houses, and they are coming together, they are meeting up, and they are doing so for one reason and one reason only. And it's not to talk about whether Liverpool are going to win the Champions League, it's not whether Rangers are going to win the Europa League, they are coming together for one reason and one reason only, to study the words of the law, to gain insight into the word of God. They have a spiritual appetite, they have a spiritual hunger, they have a spiritual craving for the word of God. They cannot get enough of it. One day of hearing the word of God won't suffice for them. They come back again and again to hear the word. And that is an important lesson for ourselves. Last week we said that the word of God is the vital ingredient when it comes to the renewal the recovery, the revitalization of our lives as individuals and as a congregation. Other things might be desirable, but the word is what is essential. We emphasize the fact that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes or proceeds from the mouth of God. But the issue that we are being confronted with this evening is, do we have a hunger? Do we have an inner relish? Do we have an increasing desire for that word? Do we look at the men in Nehemiah chapter 8 and think to ourselves, that's me. I love the word. I can't get enough of the word. I love spending time in the word. I, I love having fellowship with others around the word. Or do we look at the men in Nehemiah chapter 8 and think to ourselves, well, I wish that was me. I wish I had a hunger for the Word. I wish I had that love for the Word. I wish that I could get enough of the Word. I wish that I had a relish to be in the Word with the people around the Word. Or do we look at the men in Nehemiah chapter 8 and think to ourselves, well, they're a bit extreme. They're a bit full on. They're a bit out of touch with reality. Can I ask you men just for a second? And when I'm speaking to the men, I'm speaking to those of you who are 14 years old up to 94 years old, if there's anyone over the age of 90. Can I ask you this evening, what would you prefer? If I say, let's come round to the manse to watch Europa League on Wednesday night, or let's come together for a Bible study. Be honest, guys. Maybe some of you Celtic fans would say, well, we'll definitely go for the Bible study. But, but in all honesty... In all honesty, in an article entitled It's a Hunger Problem, John Payne writes, we know what it's like to develop poor eating habits. At one time or another, we've all been on the seafood diet and a member of the Ice Cream After 10 Club. We know that an unhealthy diet produces unhealthy cravings. These cravings perpetuate the consumption of food that is neither nourishing for the body nor good for the mind. And the same is true for our walk with God. We crave what we most consume. We desire what we most devour. Our habits and schedules either increase our hunger for God or increase our hunger for other things. Our spiritual hunger problem is not due to want of appetite. No, we all have healthy appetites. The problem is that our appetite is for the wrong things. And when our appetite is for the wrong things, it spoils our appetite for the right thing. It slakes our thirst for communion with God and with his people. In other words, our unhealthy diet of worldliness 
hampers our desire for fellowship with God on the Lord's day, our craving for entertainment, sports and social media curbs our craving for the scriptures, just think of the inordinate time given to these things on the weekends alone, and sadly for a growing number of professing believers, secret sexual sin dampens the desire for God-centered worship and fellowship. Indeed, it destroys true intimacy with God. So this evening, friends, let's just pause and ponder this heart-probing question. Do I have a hunger? Do I have a voracious appetite for the Word of God? Do I relish spending time in the Word? And spending time with others, brothers and sisters in Christ around the Word? I'm not saying tonight for a minute, guys, especially, I want you to be at the manse for a Bible study on Wednesday night. I will be watching the Europa League. But, do we have a relish for the word? Well, we move from the relishing to the remembrance. Look at verses 14 to 16. Here Nehemiah focuses on the people's remembrance of God's word, of God's work. In verses 14 and 15, the people hear a word of command. As the men are studying the word of God together, they come across a law that the Lord had commanded through Moses in verse 14. It's a command that came by Moses, that is, Moses was the instrument, the vessel through which the word came. But it's also a command that the Lord had given by Moses. It's a command that carried divine weight, divine authority. It wasn't invented by Moses. And the command that the Lord gave by Moses referred to a particular festival that the people were to observe. Verse 15. Back in Leviticus 23 that we read together, we were told that there were three major feasts or festivals that the Lord commanded his people to observe each year. There was the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, the men find themselves reading about the Feast of Booths. This feast or festival was to be observed once in the seventh month. And it required that the people live in booths or shelters during the days of the feast, the festival. They were to gather olive branches, wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, the branches of leafy trees. And they were to use these branches in the construction of booths. The whole purpose of that feast or festival was to reenact what was going on in the wilderness when the Lord had protected them, provided for them, preserved them as they lived in booths or shelters in the wilderness. They were to reenact that and so remember what the Lord had done for them. And having heard that word of command, we find the people responding with immediate compliance. Look at verse 16. Nehemiah tells us what they built. Beginning of verse 16, the men leave their Bible study and they go and they encourage the people to go out. And having gone out, the people come back with olive branches and wild olive branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of leafy trees. And they proceed to make booths or shelters for themselves. And look at where they build these booths or shelters. Verse 16, some build booths on the roofs of houses Others built booths in the courts of their houses. Others built booths in the courts of the house of God. Others built booths in the square at the water gate. And still others built booths at the gate of Ephraim. The key point to note though is that there was compliance. There was obedience to the word of God. These people are displaying a real faith. A living faith. An active faith. 
And the reality of their faith was seen in their responsiveness to the commands and the imperatives of God. They hear the word of God and they put what they are hearing into practice. And since we consider these verses, they're highlighting the importance and the necessity of remembering the work of God. That's what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. The purpose of Israel's feasts and festivals was to remind the people about the Lord and his work on their behalf. One writer, J. Sklar, writes, When the Israelites forgot that the Lord was their powerful and gracious king, they doubted his care for them and became quick to grumble and disobey. The Lord therefore provides constant reminders of his character and actions in these holy festivals. Whether it was the weekly Sabbath reminder that he was their covenant king or the annual reminders of his redemption and provision, the Lord instituted these times to help the Israelites remember his power and grace, enabling them to respond to him with appropriate dependence, obedience and worship. And so here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we find the people coming together to remember the Lord's character and his actions. To remember all that the Lord had done for them in their days of wandering through the wilderness as they celebrate this feast, this festival of booths. And that is a very important lesson for ourselves. Jace Clark goes on to make this observation. It is no surprise that Jesus institutes a regular feast, the Lord's Supper, to do in remembrance of him as a regular proclamation of his powerful and gracious act of salvation for his people, a reminder that enables his people to respond to him with appropriate dependence, obedience and worship. A few months ago we celebrated the Lord's Supper and we hope and pray that we'll be able to do so in the coming weeks and months. And we do this, friends, not because we're a people who have got it sorted. We do this not because we're a people who have got our act together. We do this not because we're a people who have attained to some level of spiritual progress or sinless perfection. We do this, friends. Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? We do this because we are a people who are prone to wandering and leaving the God we love. We do this because we are a people who are prone to forgetting the Lord's character and care. We do this because we are a people who need regular reminding of the Lord's goodness and grace, the Lord's commitment and compassion, the Lord's favour and faithfulness, the Lord's provision and pardon and pity and preservation and protection that the bread and the wine represent. The Lord's Supper, friends, is a feast. And it's a feast like the Feast of Booths that points to the Lord's work on his people's behalf. It is a feast that says, remember what your God has done. And so this evening, we might say the Lord has commanded us to remember him. And he has commanded us to remember his work. And he has commanded us to remember him and to remember his work as we celebrate his feast as we celebrate his supper, as we celebrate his new covenant meal. Can I ask you, friends, are you complying with that command? Because it is a command. 
this do in remembrance of me? Can I, can I ask you, friends, are you complying with that command? Are you showing the reality of your faith as you go to that table? And if you haven't yet done so, will you comply with that command when we next celebrate the Lord's Supper together? And if not, friend, can I just ask you the question, why not? Can I ask ask the teenagers just for a minute why you're not going to the Lord's table yet? Can I ask some of the older ones this evening who have been so regular, you have been incredible over lockdown, some of you coming out again and again, can I just ask the question, why you're not coming to the table to remember the Lord's work. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say this enough. It's not about us. It's all about Him. <clears throat> we remember Him. Well, we move from the remembrance to the rejoicing. Look at verses 17 and 18. And here Nehemiah focuses on the people's rejoicing in God's worship. They have relished his word. They have remembered his work. They now rejoice in his worship. Verse 17, we see the rejoicing of the people. Nehemiah tells us what the people did. Look at the beginning of verse 17. He writes that all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. Let's note the way that Nehemiah emphasizes all the assembly. Everyone participated in this festival, this feast. Every man, every woman, every child took part and remembered the Lord's work. They didn't buy into the devil's lie that children are somehow excluded or exempt from public worship, from coming to the Lord's services. And can I just encourage your parents this evening? It is so good to see you bringing your children out to the services morning and evening. It is thrilling that you're saying that this is where you want your children to be. And maybe some of you have had a real battle getting your children out this evening. I don't know. But can I just say, it is so encouraging when I see this happening. But Nehemiah also writes that the feast hadn't been celebrated since the days of Jeshua or Joshua, the son of Nun. Now we know from 1 Kings chapter 8 that this feast was celebrated in the days of Solomon. We also know from Ezra chapter 3 that it was celebrated in the days of Zerubbabel. The point that Nehemiah is making though is that it hadn't been celebrated like this before. There was something different about this celebration, this observance. And Nehemiah builds on this as he tells us how the people were. Look at verse 17. Their whole lives at this moment are being taken up with religious activities, religious duties. This is the Old Testament equivalent of a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week communion season. And look what Nehemiah says about it, verse 17. There was very great rejoicing. That was the attitude that was prevalent among the people, day after day worshipping and day after day rejoicing. Then in verse 18, we see the reading of the priest. Nehemiah tells us what Ezra did at the beginning of verse 18. From the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. Charles Spurgeon once said of John Bunyan, Why, this man is a living Bible. 
pick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, but his very soul is full of the word of God. And the same is true of this man, Ezra. He's always reading the word of God. He's reading it for himself, and when he's not reading it for himself, he is reading it for others. His blood, like John Bunyan's, is bibline. His whole soul is full, full of the word of God. Nehemiah concludes by telling us what the people did. Look at the end of verse 18. They kept the feast for seven days as they were commanded to in Leviticus 23. And on the eighth day they hold a solemn assembly as they were commanded to in Leviticus 23. Once again we can see how seriously they are taking the word of God. They are people who are complying with its commands. They are people who are letting the word regulate and direct their lives as individuals and as a community because they know from their own recent history that when they disobeyed the word, they ended up in exile. There's no blessing if you diminish the word of God. So they're eager to be complying with what the word says. Well, as we consider these verses, friends, they're highlighting the importance and the necessity of rejoicing in the worship of God. That is what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. The Feast of Booths have been celebrated throughout Israel's history, but it would seem that over the years, the people have been observing this feast, this festival, with very little enthusiasm. It was a matter of formality. It was a matter of ritual. It was a matter of tradition. It was a matter of going through the motions. Oh no, there's another festival of Booths season that we've got to observe. But on this occasion, they are celebrating it in a way that hadn't been celebrated since the days of Joshua. And so they are celebrating it, we see, with very great rejoicing. A rejoicing that is fueled and fired by their reading of God's word and fueled and fired by their remembrance of God's work. And that is a very important lesson for ourselves. The aim of this series has been to encourage us as we go about regrouping, rebuilding, reaching out to our community with the gospel after two years of lockdowns and restrictions. I think I've said it every week since February. Regroup, rebuild, reach out. But I know that I might be speaking to some this evening who are saying, that's not my ambition. I know I might be speaking to some this evening whose white-hot, gospel-advancing, kingdom-expanding, Christ-exalting aspirations have been replaced with apathy. I know I might be speaking to some this evening who are just going through the motions of church attendance, just going through the motions of Christian discipleship. I know I might be speaking to some this evening who have lost or are lacking Christian joy, the spirit-given joy that pushes a person, propels a person to do something, to do anything for the Lord and his cause. John Piper writes, When you have faith in Jesus, you rejoice in his glorious deity as Christ. You rejoice in the humble, sinless, virgin-born humanity of Jesus. You're satisfied by the universe-creating, miracle-working power of Jesus. You're satisfied by the covenant-keeping, law-fulfilling, righteousness-performing, perfection-providing, obedience of Jesus. You're satisfied 
by the wrath-bearing, justice-satisfying, sin-atoning death of Jesus, you're satisfied by the death-defeating, devil-destroying, heaven-opening resurrection of Jesus, and you're satisfied by the sovereign, interceding, ever-present, never-leaving-us-alone, triumphant reign of Jesus at the Father's right hand. The Christian life ought to be marked, friends, by satisfaction in our sovereign Saviour and his salvation. The Christian life ought to be marked by very great rejoicing in the worship of our Redeemer and Ruler. The Christian life ought to be marked and motivated by joy in Jesus. But sometimes that joy can be extinguished. It can be extinguished by something that we may have done. But it can also be extinguished by something that may have been done to us. When we went into lockdown, we were told to stay at home and save lives. And we did so. We did so with every good intention. But I really wonder, friends, I really wonder if those months of isolation sucked some of the spiritual joy, some of the spiritual vitality, some of the spiritual energy out of congregations and congregants. I really wonder it, friends. I know it probably sucked some of my own spiritual joy out, and maybe it sucked some of your spiritual joy out, and maybe it sucked some of the high free congregations' spiritual joy out. And so as we close, friends, I want to ask the simple question, Is your life, is our life as a congregation marked by very great rejoicing in the worship of God? Is it marked by a supernatural Jesus-focused joy that is infectious? That is more infectious than COVID? That if somebody was to enter the high fee church service, either in Sandwich or in the seminary or in the Falcha Centre, they would stand more chance of coming out with joy than coming out with COVID. And if it's not, friends, will you pray that the Lord would give you, would give us that spirit-enabled, spirit-empowered joy? We can't manufacture it ourselves. I can't get up in the morning and say I'm going to be joyful today. Those of you who know me well know that's not my temperament anyway. Maybe Spangy wakes up joyful. Maybe Roddy does. I don't know. Maybe their wives will say otherwise. But if you're lacking joy tonight, my my friend, and if you feel that there's maybe an absence of joy even in our congregation, don't sit singing what's going on. Let's pray for that spirit-enabled, spirit-empowered, very great rejoicing in the Lord's worship. Amen.